He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. All right, everybody, welcome back to Honestly Unorthodox. I have my first ever panel guest here to talk about a racy topic, race, and what you know what? The shorter list actually might be to ask what doesn't count as white supremacy instead of starting with what is white supremacy. So that being said, I have Kate, my handy dandy fact checker from Massachusetts. Hello, Kayla. And I have another panelist here, Dominique from... Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's me Hello. mixing up the Pittsburghs and the Pennsylvanias and the, yeah, the, and the Philadelphias. Philly. Yeah, don't do that. You don't want to do that. I know. We can't get people confused <laughs> in there. Now, that'll turn into its own you know, form of supremacy, yeah. I'm sure. Right. Yes. So I have a panel here because we all kind of see things in terms of the racial issue that is running rampant in America, we tend to see things along similar lines. And frankly, these pals are the only people that I could get onto a podcast to discuss something like this. (laughs) So this is why we're all here. Before this podcast started, I sent you guys a video from a quote unquote professional named Syra Rao. Have you guys heard of Syra Rao? I had not heard of her um, before the video that you sent. Mm. Um, but then I did some research. <laughs> what did you find, Dominique? <laughs> well, she was on, um, who was she on? She was on Dr. Phil. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and then her, who was her, her partner there? What was her name? Uh, Regina Jackson. Re- yeah, Regina Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, yeah, they seem to be taken in by this like racial ideology Um they seem to be like people who are dismantling the systems mm-hmm. by, um, yeah, I don't know, just trying to inundate people with this nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Kate, what did you think about the whole video and Syra Rao as a whole? Um, well, I like to think about race and racism as you know if you if you substitute any words out or any colors out for another if it still sounds racist then it's probably racist no matter what um and so i kind of thought about that as they were as they were talking you know kind of in my mind substituting out uh different races uh for each other and wow i mean fits the bill for racism if you ask me It's so racist. So I'm going to read part of the website race to dinner, but actually, you know, before I do that, I'm going to, I'm going to explain to our audience what race to dinner is. So Syra Rao claims to be a brown person and her partner, Regina Jackson claims to be a black person. And together they have a cash cow called race to dinner where they charge white women only $5,000 each to attend a dinner with the two of them. And be told how racist, how inherently racist they all are simply because they're white. Mm -hmm. And on their website, Mm -hmm. Race to Dinner, 
the top says our vision liberation a world free of white supremacy caste patriarchy misogyny all the isms all the phobias and hate a world where all of us humans have value dignity respect and all we need to live how we choose what strikes me is uh, a world where we all have value, dignity, and respect. What is dignified or respectable about inviting people for dinner based on skin color and then treating them like shit based on their skin color? Yeah. I mean, and uh, there were a multitude of rules that they had. I don't know if you saw this, that one of their big rules was no crying at dinner, mm -hmm. no white tears. And this is actually something that, I've heard before, like I, oh. for my previous job, I was a research assistant at um, a university and they brought in DEI trainers. Oh no. And um, long story short, I actually was asked to leave after the second day because I, you know, I was, I was countering their points respectfully, but you know, regardless, um, mm. but there, you know, there was a message about white tears often distract from racism and or not racism but like you know um trying to talk about racism and um and it you know it can be a trigger for many black people who have oftentimes heard or seen white tears before they um get subjugated by the police in some way mm -hmm. um and the other interesting thing about this regina is that you know, when she was asked by an interview about this, like, what is this about white tears? She was saying, like, I don't care about your feelings. You know, mm -hmm. your feelings are your feelings and they don't have anything to do with me. They don't have to they don't have anything to do with the world. And so you need to learn how to deal with that on your own. And to that, I was like, OK, Regina. All right. I'm, I'm with you there. Your feelings are your feelings and no mm -hmm. one's responsible for your feelings. But then it's this, you know, this the double standard that she can pull so quickly in that, you know, how she's saying she's trying to protect um, black lives and their feelings. And, you know, so, yeah, there's a lot of double standards. <laughs> Sure. So part of the the video that, uh, and I will put this in the show notes if anybody wants to uh, a reason to just, you know, gouge their eyes out and their ears. But part of this interview where Regina Jackson and Syra Rao were being interviewed, they they kept circulating back to the fact that it's white women only. It is only white women who could possibly be at the core of every, all of the ills that black people have suffered. And they even said at one point something so ridiculous. It was something like uh, yoga is a form of cultural appropriation and only black people can do it. And like you said in the beginning, Kate, with if you switch all of these phrases around, I mean, imagine inviting eight black women to a dinner and saying, you are black and that is why you need to be educated. Can you imagine the media flurry that would come out of something like that? I mean, yeah, this is the huge problem with it all, right? Like, you know, and then they, I think people with this ideology, then they deflect by saying things like, well, racism is prejudice plus power. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's just 
because of that, it is impossible for white people to be, um, or for black people to be racist towards white people. But, you know, I, I kind of think about it like, okay, it's more about the ideal. Like, I feel like they're getting caught up on labels and mm-hmm. like, okay, so say we don't call it racism. Say we just call it prejudice or, you know, we make up a silly word for it, you know, mm-hmm. a silly name for it, like gobbledygook. It's still wrong. It, yep. It's still not the ideal that society once you know is, is striving for, right? We used to be striving for a world of you know metaphoric color blindness, mm-hmm. uh, but now it seems to me that they're striving for a world of color essentialism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A thousand percent. Coleman Hughes wrote a really great article. Yeah. Uh, I forget the title. I don't know if you read it. Color blindness actually isn't racist. Yeah. And it's a it's a wonderfully written article essentially saying that, hey, color blindness doesn't mean that we're stripping people of the identity that maybe they've tied to the color of their skin or their culture or their ethnicity or what have you. But it more has to do with the fact that we should be focused on merit and competence instead of this identity marker being seen as a pivotal part of somebody's character. And of course, uh, there were certain groups that just that would not have it. They said this is the most racist thing in the world. It was written by a black person. Coleman Hughes is black. That's what yeah. that's what really confuses me is if you it's less about just actual discrimination against people based on skin color and more about what views you have about people based on their skin color. And even if you are of the same, let's just say race, apparently, you know, you could be black and also be racist towards black people <laughs> for not agreeing that you are oppressed. Yeah. It's um, like I said, like the, you know, Martin Luther King used to speak about content of character, you know, stuff. And that was a, you know, very important ideal for him. And, I think it was the right ideal to maintain. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, the Rawls Veil of Ignorance by a philosopher. His name is John Rawls, and he pretty much, um, you know, constructed this thought experiment in which he said, "Okay, if you did not know, you know, who you would be in the world that you constructed, how would you construct the world?" And I think, like, that's the kind of world we should all want to live in, is where, you know, immutable characteristics are not considered, right? And we, we try to, to resist our um, instinctual tribalism as best as we can. So that being said, let's let's move into, you brought up immutable traits and how we can absolutely teach about racism. That's an important thing to be educating youth on and and just society as a whole. Racism will always be a facet of society. We will never live in a racism-free world, right? So it's important that we understand uh, the that inequality will always exist, that racism will always exist. And it's not acceptable to be racist. I mean, that's that's common sense, or it should be common sense. But to what degree are we overly celebrating an immutable character characteristic like race like with black history month i've seen some debate around should there be a black history month or the post which we're going to get to in a second here dominique where you know someone is demanding that there needs to be more diversity in behavior analysis just for the sake of saying we need more 
diversity and behavior analysis. Yeah, it's just, it's a big problem because there's, you know, more diversity of thought within a group of people that share mutable characteristics than there is between. And, um, you know, I think that's how we move closer to seeing each other's humanity, right? It's just realizing that all of these factors... And I, I, think, I think people who hold, you know, that ideology today, as we'll get into about the post, they talk a lot about cultural competence. And so they kind of tie race with culture. Um, and maybe that argument can be made, um, but I don't think it's the essential correlation. And I don't think race is a necessary factor. Um, I think cultural competence is important, but it's also important to talk about what that means. Um, and I think another thing that ties into it is, um, have you ever read the book, um, what's it called? Uh, you know, the, 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 I'm blanking right now. I read it. The, um, John, let me look him up really quick and I'll get back to you. I have it on my Goodreads. <laughs> and I think we did talk about this previously. Um, I'm sure we did. Oh my gosh. The coddling of the American mind. Oh yeah. Jonathan Haidt and uh, Greg Lukianoff. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that also plays into it because I think we have to have this discussion about, you know, people and their sensitivity and how much responsibility it is for society to make people feel comfortable versus how much of it is within the individual. So I think, yeah, I think that's another part of the conversation maybe. Yeah. It's a hard balance between, okay, we actually, you know what? I, I retract that statement. I, I think that we're overcomplicating the balance of all of this because if we are compassionate people that treat everybody with respect without considering first, okay, this person is black. Let me show them this ratio of respect while I take away the ratio from myself because I'm half white. I mean, I don't ever remember there being a time when I was in school where there was just such a complex formulaic way, a means of trying to figure out how to treat people just because of how much melanin was in their skin. I just never remember this being a problem because we were more tolerant and less sensitive in, in years prior to now when things like this weren't even a topic of conversation. I mean, you know, specialized rooms for certain races. Right. Like, I think historically think. we we've tried to move away from that as much as yeah, possible. Right? You would we've think tried to make that an, a non uh issue or a, a factor that doesn't matter, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and I think that's the real uh one eighty that's been happening within these past five to you know, ten years. Um Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's think about this post that happened. So there was a post comparing the <laughs> I number. Said off the bomb, 
you did you did there was a post comparing the percentages of was it only black behavior analysts or was it poc generally it was so basically it's a it's a schematic Mm -hmm. it's very nicely drawn um and they all look um african-american i would say i mean you know brown um and then the the first like part of the post says black history month like hashtag black history month and so i think it it, you know and then she later explains that it's a infographic about the increase um and the win for um for black professionals within the aba field within a year time span um so yeah i i just found that um so egregious like just what why does that matter like yeah you know like um so I do you want me to follow up with what I said or how do you want yeah I would love to see just read us your initial follow-up let's start with that okay so again I say I I see these posts a lot and I really do I hold my I hold my fingers because I've I've you know, it, I, I know it's futile, most likely. Um, but I said, the skin color of a BCBA, RBT, or BCABA doesn't matter, and it should never. Maybe we should instead focus on the competency or skill level of these various professions, period. That's what I put. And then 47 comments later. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is yeah. so typical. I mean. Yes. You know, it's very triggering, obviously. So here's here's my first question. Two qu- actually, I have one question. That's very simple. What is stopping a black person from becoming a behavior analyst? I know that's my question too. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that's okay. I just uh, I have the actual um, stats from the BACB. Ooh, um, let's hear it broken down by uh, race or ethnicity. This includes all certificates. So RBTs, BCBAs, BCABAs, BCBADs all together. Um, we have cool. 52.76% are white. Um, mm-hmm. 0.58% Native American, uh, excuse me, Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander. 21.39% Hispanic Latinx. Black, 7.07% Asian, and 0.4% American Indian, Alaska Native. Uh, 6.86 did not uh, provide a race, so no answer. Um, So pretty much you have 52% white and the rest other. (laughs) Not white. Not white, yeah. Yeah. So when that's really interesting, Kate, because when you frame it that way, the, the way that this post was was posted too makes it sound as if, oh my gosh, only 7% of the entire field is non-white, when really it seems like a little, just very slightly less than half is actually not white. And the people that do, I guess, claim themselves to be white, I mean, technically I'm half white, right? Like, so I could have voted either way on that one. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a vote, which is so sad. I mean, even me saying that, like that Freudian slip of a vote. I mean, why are we turning race into something that's just this card or a vote uh, that we make? And that's how we identify ourselves amongst a group. Well, here's the thing. Like, it's not even so the on the first picture, 
-hmm. It says, the first thing I noticed was that 14.39, she reported, um, of RBTs are black or African-American. And, you know, that kind of like sounded an alarm in my brain because around 13% of the population Mm -hmm. is black. Right. And so if we're going for proportionality, which I don't think they even believe that at that at this point, you know, Um, but if we're going with proportionality, then they're actually overrepresented in the RBT, you know, um, like um, the the race statistics. And so but I I think I posed this question um, to my boyfriend that night when I was talking about it, like what? would everyone have done if the numbers would have been so inflated? Like, obviously, you know, like, say it was like 20% of, you know, uh, black mayor or, you know, of black BCBAs and, you know, all these high numbers, would there be any uh, raised flags on diversity? Probably not. And so I think that's kind of, um, I don't know. I would love to discuss this with someone face to face. I would um, too. But I think, it, I think there's problems in that. Problems yeah. in discussing it or problems in getting these people to discuss? Yeah, yeah, right. Getting, yes, problems with, with obtaining the people for discussions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kayla, you posed the question, um, what is stopping um, people of color from becoming BCBAs? Um I mean, we all know you need to have a master's degree, right? Um, So I'd be interested to kind of dig into the um, kind of the stats on that as well. Um, You can't get a master's degree unless you have a bachelor's degree. You can't get a bachelor's degree unless you have a high school diploma. Um, And so I wonder where kind of the disparity might exist there. Um, Not to say that any one person doesn't have that opportunity in the sense that, you know, in America, we have, we have public education till um, 12th grade, we have community colleges, we, you know, those opportunities, you can't say that they don't exist for, for literally anyone. Um, But there's certainly some barriers there. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Go ahead, Dominique, I just was agreeing that there, there are barriers um, that that can be accounted for. I am really interested in uh, how much of it is up due to a barrier and how much of it is just due to interest. Yeah. Right. Definitely. I mean that because that's really hard to find that information. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was also gonna say, um, like a few weeks ago, I listened to, I think, what was it, The Daily or Barry Weiss. It was one of these podcasts that was like talking about, um, you know, higher education and the broken system that is higher education in America. And I do think that that's a problem. I think the cost of of education um, compared to its outcome is problematic. But I think we would maybe do a much better job at like addressing those issues if maybe we said, "Mm," you know, like it's, it's not really racial. It, it may be like a, a class barrier. Um, but I think, Kayla, you also have a good point, right? It's about interest as well. Um, and yeah, so 
don't know. I, I don't think it I don't think there are any race barriers. I think if anything, you're you know, you're right, it does cost money and I think there are money barriers. I think there's a lot more disparity. And we mentioned this, right? Dominic, I think you mentioned this right at the beginning. There appears to be a lot more disparity uh, within classes than between classes and between races. So, I mean, if you look at an entire group of, let's just say, African-American women, you're going to see a much larger disparity between the top earner black woman and the lowest earning black woman versus a black woman and a white woman. And I know this is true for education. Um, You know, there's uh, discrepancies between uh, levels of education within uh, Black Americans, Um, Nigerian Americans, um, uh, people from the Bahamas, Jamaican Americans, like these all have, you know, varieties within within them. And there's like disparities. So um, I think, you know, culture does play a role as well and um the area in which you grow up your household your edu- you know like the school system your the way you socialize like there's a multitude of facets um but to be so re- reductionist to just be like you know to just blame it all on race but I, I think that's it's somewhat like you know humans they want to do that because they want to be problem solvers and so they want to see that oh you know we can make a difference because the issue is this but I think issues are much more complicated and maybe not as easily solvable you know yeah and I think the solution to I mean it's a it's an innate human tendency to want to take a mental shortcut instead of having to actually, for lack of a better phrase, do the work. Um, (laughs) It's a lot, it's a lot easier for us. And that's, that's like bias is something that is built into our cognition and how we perceive the world. And in a lot of ways, that is the shortcut. And if, if that gives us all of the information that we want to see, or that resolves all of this dissonance, why would anybody go out and, you know, look for the statistics like Kate or like Dominique. I mean, that's something that most people aren't willing to do, especially if they're fearful that the statistics will not uh, support whatever narrative they've, they've written in their mind. And then the other thing that I was curious about, because as this discussion goes down the thread is, you know, what is, what are the, the racial discrepancies between the clients? that ABA serves, you know, I would bet that the majority of them are white, right? I mean, because we make up the majority of the population. Yeah, Um, back to the proportionality, because then it's like, well, now it's just now we're going off of proportions. So, you know, and that's what's really tricky about these conversations, too, is the constant switching of number versus proportion, percentage Mm -hmm. versus... Like, you know, raw number. And it's just, it's a complete trick. And I, I, again, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to say maybe people aren't actually aware that this is what they're doing. But I think some know damn well that these proportions and these numbers purposely don't add up. So it's more about the number that grabs the headline. Uh, versus the one that actually makes sense for the conversation. And in this conversation, some of the comments I saw, Dominique, were, you know, first of all, in my opinion, they were 
utterly racist. Oh, you are a white woman or a non POC and therefore you need to be educated. Again, let's flip that. If we said something like you are black and therefore I need to teach you. Yeah. I'm assuming that wouldn't go over too well. I mean, I, yeah, that was one, that was one of the comments initially I responded to because I also was very taken aback by the assumption, right? I mean, in these circles, you're taught not to assume based on how someone looks. And so, well, yes, the jury's out. I am white. I'm European. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, or the, I guess the jury's not out. Anyway, regardless. Um, <laughs> however that saying goes. <laughs> however that saying goes. Um, yeah, so I kind of, I kind of, you know, said back to her, like, how, you know, how do you know I'm, I'm non-POC? Um Regardless, it's a, my color doesn't have anything to do with my ideology, but they, they don't see it like that. They think that it does. Why do you think that they believe that? Well, I think because, again, they're, ra- they're racial essentialists. And so mm-hmm. they put so much stock in skin color and they view it as such a large part of a person's identity. Like even um, Regina and her partner... You know, they were saying that, uh, like in the clips, that like it really does, it makes up who you are and how you navigate the world and, you know, all this stuff. But you know what? I, I don't know if I would completely disagree with them that the way you look or the characteristics you have influence how you navigate the world. But from my, from my experience, um, there's countless characteristics that one couldn't even begin to quantify, you know, on how it it influences how I socialize or how I'm socialized or, you know, whatever, right? Like race is such a, it's one of like so many factors. Um, but yeah, like I would say my, my height, I always use this as an example when people want to get into like microaggressions and things like that. Um, you know, height for me, I'm 4'11". I'm really short. I'm 28. Oh, you're tiny. Wow. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm tiny. And I think if I were one in who, who believed in microaggressions and ideologies like that, I could say, you know, there's many times in which someone would be like, Oh my gosh, what? You're 28? No way. I thought you were 14. Like, (laughs) annoying shit like that. You know, like, I get it. It's not fun. But like, um, I think in that ideology, it's taught that it really is traumatizing. And Mm -hmm. it's like a thousand needles, like day in, day out. Wherein I think I've kind of held the mindset that like, yeah, sometimes it does get annoying. But Mm -hmm. like, it is my job to handle how I deal with the emotions and it doesn't say anything about me you know there's nothing I can do to change it like yeah so I don't know it's hypersensitivity yeah so while we're on this topic while because you brought up the really good point of let's say someone hears a racial slur repeatedly or not even a racial slur, a quote unquote microaggression, whatever counts as, you know, micro aggressive these days. Let's just say that it's something that could be perceived as racially discriminatory. 
I guess I'm wondering how many times would it take for someone like you being told, ha ha ha, you look like you're 14 to, to really start to doubt your character. I, I mean, and that sounds very insensitive of me. And I, and I kind of realize that I'm not trying to sound insensitive, but, but being called a name doesn't prohibit you from doing all of the things that you want to do. Am I way off here or, or no, I think what you're do you right guys on. think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally what should be taught. The opposite of fragility and everything's traumatic and every you're at risk of, of being traumatized 24-7 to, you know, upsetting things will happen. And, you know, I'm not one to deny that I've, you know, not been upset from time to time um, from hearing comments, you know, a yeah. lot. But at the end of the day, it doesn't um, it doesn't dictate the way my life is going or I don't, you know, it doesn't keep me up at night. You know, I'm not worse off because of them. They're comments. And, you know, that it, it, it contributes to um, the mindfulness I have to do within myself to um, have a measured response. And to be, to stay rational about these things, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure we all have them. Like, I'm sure if you took a, a, an hour or two to think, like, if I were to say what a microaggression was that I've had, you know, against me, I'm sure maybe, you know, you could think of one to give an example. Everyone has them, right? Because yeah. Everyone has we all could think of something. <laughs> right. We could all think of something. And so it's just like, one gets definitely like higher priority in in the in the climate we're in right now. Yeah, Kate, what do you think about this whole uh, this <laughs> so, whole thing? <laughs> I was just having I having a thought that I have a lot when I get kind of you know interested or wrapped up in these kind of philosophical conversations, which I very much enjoy having. But at the end of the day, man, we're all just a bunch of specks on a giant rock floating through space. And it's just not that serious. Yeah, yeah. it's really not. It's, <laughs> I wish you guys could see Kate's face right now. She's like a completely just raw, happy yeah. laughing at, uh, at the world we live in. While we're on the topic of laughing at the world we live in, um, can we please talk about how anybody could logically try to explain what happened to Tyree Nichols as white supremacy? Oh, yeah. No, I don't. How in the world? It's I mean, systemic. You, can't, you can't put it past people. It's it's not like I should be surprised. But at the same time, I'm just wondering, I'm constantly struck with how low will we go? Yeah, it's, um, well, that was a narrative that was kind of half-fitting, right? Because the victim was a black man, mm -hmm. but the At perpetrator- the hands of five was, black people. Yeah, right. Um, and listen, I think I, you know, I watched the videos. I kind of read up on it today. I, I honestly, I hadn't been following it that closely. Um, but I, yeah, I think they should be, um, they should have been, uh, what's it called? Like- um, taken in. What what's the word when you're you're not prosecuted, you're accused. Oh, you're uh, you're like you're booked. Yeah, they book like, you. Yeah, like <laughs> is that I guess how they say it? Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they should they should stand trial. 
Um, mm -hmm. I watched the whole video. I think, but I think this too, and I think this is, people would maybe call this victim blaming. Like, you, you can't run. You can't run. And you can't, you can't not follow the demands of officers. Now, did he deserve to die? Of course not. Like, they're neat, like, yeah, they're, those officers should have had, showed more restraint. Um, and I think, I don't know if you've heard of, um, like, what's the, what's the karate style that Joe Rogan is really into? It's, like, very popular. Jiu-jitsu? Is it? Jiu-jitsu, yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Um, and I think on Coleman Hughes' podcast, uh, he had someone on who taught jujitsu to a lot of different like police academies and said that that reduced like violent encounters by like 20 some percent um, oh. because like it taught them how to take advantage of like body weight like and leverage just, and leverage and just mm -hmm. like subdue the the suspect instead of actually injuring anyone um so I think like yeah there's definitely training um pitfalls that those that that you know, that police force had. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, you can't run. You can't run. You yeah. know, I don't know what, I don't know your thoughts on it, but yeah. Yeah. Kate, do you want to go first or should I go first? Um, I'll be honest. I don't know a ton about it. I wish I knew more. Um, I do know, one thing I do know is that that particular unit, this isn't the first time that they've kind of um, overstepped, I guess would be a good way to describe it. So there was kind of, it, it seems like there was a big breakdown in, in leadership, um, you know, in the organization overall, um, where those guys really were, were kind of getting out of control. Um, not sure what the kind of background checks and, um, you know, your kind of typical screening processes for uh, people who serve on those types of units. Um, and so I think there were kind of some issues prior to this event um, that that possibly had they been addressed could, could have prevented it. Um, I don't think white supremacy has anything to do with it whatsoever. Um, I think it's just a horrible, yeah. tragic event that uh, never should have happened. Um, it sounds like the, the chief uh, of police uh, handled it pretty well. She pretty much immediately, as far as I know, um, you know, suspended everyone involved. Um, and I believe they're, you know, investigating further with criminal charges. So. That's all I got. Yeah. And, you know, we keep hearing about uh, really poor training of, of police in general. I mean, what, the academy is like 70 something days. So it's like just a little over three months and they they don't learn things like jujitsu or they don't learn any thorough degree of, I guess, de-escalation or handling situations like this. So, and again, that really has nothing to do with color. That just has to do with really shitty training, which is something that we actually see in our own field. That That, yeah. is, that is truly a colorblind aspect yeah. of a lot of people's jobs is just incompetence. You know, and, and we hear the argument sometimes white cops are trained to be more aggressive towards black people. Uh, you could talk to anybody in law enforcement. There is no amount of training that any of them gets related to treating people differently based on color. 
they probably yeah, no. could all say that their training sucked, <laughs> but it right. wasn't because it was favoring or, or, you know, dehumanizing one color over another. Yeah. And, and I think this is a really like complex topic within, you know, in and of itself. Um, I encourage anyone to look up those interviews that Coleman Hughes has with like, he has one with the police chief that he talks about like this topic. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the, the Roland Fryer study. He's a Harvard economist. And he actually researched like racial disparities and violent encounters. Um, and he found that while there was a slightly um, increased percent, I don't know, percentage or number um, of uh, black victims getting more like roughed up. Um, and then, but then he controlled for factors of like crime committed and na neighborhoods and things like that. And it kind of decreased, but he didn't find any disparities between um, uh, white and black people um, getting killed by the hands of police. Um, I think another factor that falls into it is violent crime rate. And I think policemen also have heuristics that they function off of, right? And so if you're in a dangerous neighborhood, and I think you, you have to really be an amazing, exceptional human to fight those, you know, biases day to day, when you know the statistics um, within that, within that, you know, area. Um, so I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that aren't, aren't discussed when we, when we talk about this on the national stage. Yeah. I'm going to read a tweet from Wilfred Riley here while we're on the topic of exact statistics. The tweet reads this for clarity, about 75% of the people killed by police every year are white or Hispanic. Even the per capita discrepancy here is due almost entirely to higher black crime rate. This is just utterly ignored. The three quarter majority of cop shooting or beating cases gets about 10% of coverage. Yeah. I mean, that, right. that's literally never discussed. It's the George Floyd cases that make it to the media. And I mean, even the thing with Tyree Nichols, it had made the media because he's black, but it didn't get nearly as much coverage or uproar as yeah. George Floyd. Yeah. That's, yeah. and these two, between George Floyd and Tyree Nichols, these are very different cases. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you can't even compare the two. You brought up, you know, the exact crime and the crime rates in the area. I mean, these are two, these are two different worlds, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah. There's more similarities between like, you know, Tony Timpa and mm -hmm. uh, George Floyd, mm -hmm. you know, than Tyree Nichols and, and George Floyd. Um, but yeah, it actually makes me think of um, there was this other comment left in one of the in the thread that and I thought this was interesting. I wanted to see what you thought of it. So um, this was from an RBT or BT, I'm not really sure, but she was talking about how her BCBA, you know, was having her run an intraverbal program for one of her, her clients. And one of the SDs was... Um, uh, what do the police do? And the correct response was supposed to be, keep my community safe. 
that was supposed to be the response. And she wrote how, like, oh, when I saw the BCBA probe it with my client and I saw her face, it broke my heart. And I, you know, whenever she's not there, I refuse to run it because I just think it's so culturally insensitive. And, you know, I will never be running this introvertible with my client. Um, I just think it's so wrong. And then the the person, the author of the original post, um, said like you know thank you so much for sharing your experience and this is really important for us yes to queen yeah <laughs> yes queen and I kind of thought I was like I'm a newly minted BCBA I just passed like two and a half weeks ago go and Dominique congratulations um and I was like if my RBT was doing shit like this I would be having a serious talk with her because mm-hmm. how is that not biased yeah, I, absolutely. Of her to to you know um, like uh, kind of not give this client an opportunity to this one program that the BCBA wants to run based on the immutable factor of race, mm-hmm. based on her biases of how she imagines this little girl's life. It or boy, I don't know who it was really. Um, you know because they were black. Yeah. And this yeah. is about police. Like, there's no even connection between To be two. fair. But she thought she was all high and mighty. <laughs> to be yes. fair, programming a, like, a rote response like that to a question right that, like that is, uh, is, is trash to begin with. <laughs> yeah. I so agree with you. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> I think that is... Yeah, right. Like, it, it's not even helpful. But like, I guess my point was just the whole like, it, it was bias of her <laughs> to not run a program based on the color of someone's skin of, of a client's skin. Well, I saw some other comments in there, too, that like now that these really start to reach, right? So there's, we need more black behavior analysts and RBTs, because what if you're working with a black client and you don't know how to work with black hair? Well, I have a response to that. It can be done. (laughs) It can. I mean, you think the kid is actually sitting there saying, man, I really wish I had someone that looked just like me to do my hair the way that it like needs to be done. I've never had one client or child ever say anything remotely close to that. No, and that that's not how children operate. I mean, like, you know, to take an example, I have a client um, who's black and, you know, she has braids in her hair. And I've never hesitated once or thought about it once, you know, in how I approach, you know, handling, you know, her hair. Or, you know, if a barrette falls out, do I hesitate to help her out to put it back in? No. Does, does it dictate my relationship with her, her mother, her family in any way? No. It, like, and, and yeah, like, I, you know, and then I went, I go back to the ethics code of the BACB. And it, you know, one of the codes is, you know, right? No discrimination, no biases. Don't let your biases come through. Um and so, yeah, race should not be a factor. But I think maybe that they think, you know, but cultural competency, that's the difference. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can have a discussion about cultural competency and what that means. I don't really see an operational definition of that. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that some program is off limits because 
I don't know. I don't know. It's a very, like, it, I just think that's more of a cosmetic code where it's kind of very, to yeah. me, it, it's reeks very much of the DEI type of stuff. Like it looks yeah, really great yeah. in our programming. It right. shows that we are competent. Quite frankly, we should all be kind to people regardless of their culture we should all be open to learning about different cultures as human and not even human service professionals just kind hearted good hearted people why does it need to be written in a code yeah. to tell people to treat people with respect regardless of what culture they come from yes yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I, one of my first BCBA jobs, I was one of the few people, um, in a Muslim run clinic, 90% of the clientele were Muslim, 90% of the staff were Muslim. I mean, the Muslim community is very, very close knit. Yeah. It took a lot of learning on my part to figure out what type of, I mean, I'm very extroverted and out there. My hair is down. That's something that typically isn't very, uh, I guess, approved of or acceptable in that yeah. type of uh, religion and culture. There was a lot that I had to learn about culture, but nobody ever gave me a hard time because of my skin color. And nobody ever told me that I was prohibited from working with their children because I was not Muslim. And I think too, like, I don't know if you follow Sam Harris closely. I somewhat, I love Sam Harris. And anyway, he said something that I think has really stuck with me in terms of like culture. You can think of culture as, just like a big family, right? And each household that you go into has really their own set of cultural values. Um, and so if you think about it that way, whenever you go into a person's home, whether you go into five white people's homes or five black people's homes or five Muslim people's homes, you know, they, they all have different sets of, of values and, you know, um, things that they care about and, and, you know, things they want to uphold for their children. And so you really have to be culturally sensitive in every single case that you take. So I, I don't see what's different about, like, about doing that for, like, Muslim versus Jewish versus Black versus white, because we're already taught to accommodate for each environment. That we work in. So. Totally. So I have two more cases here uh, that I want to kind of discuss, and we could tie this into our field as well. This one, I don't know if you guys heard about Dr. Michael Mamone riding his bike um, in California. He was an emergency room doctor in Orange County. He was basically mowed down by a half white, half black accountant who was yelling white supremacy at him while shooting him with a BB gun. And he eventually stabbed him to death. Oh, so that in, in any other, if the roles were reversed. So if this was, you know, a black person riding their bike and a half white, half black person, or even a white person shooting someone with a BB gun and stabbing them yelling racial slurs, that would technically be a hate crime. Correct. Yeah. So considering this was a white person, you guys think that's a hate crime or no? Um, aren't all crimes hateful? Some uh, especially if they're based on someone's skin color, then mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, I mean, yeah. something like yelling white supremacy 
and literally just like mm. actually running this guy over and stabbing him. Yeah. And these two had no connection. They had no history. Dr. Mamone would never have known this guy existed. And when did this happen? I, I've never. I, this yeah. happened. This must have been what last week. It was very recent. February 1st. So quite recent. Yeah, it's so like five okay. days ago. Amazing. We didn't hear about it. It wasn't plastered all over the news. I wonder why. Oh, that's weird. I wonder why. <laughs> so uh, I have some facts here from this case. The, the man accused of mowing down and stabbing this doctor to death um, was on social media prior to committing this crime. He described himself as mixed race in a series of all these very lengthy posts where he had very strong feelings, apparently against grudges, malice, separation, and hate. Um, he claimed that I was born of black and white, then had the lucky chance of growing the first 12 years with my black family and the following six with white. I'm mixed and I find races petty. That was one of the last things that he posted on Facebook before uh, pursuing to pursuing Dr. Mamone. Yeah, he sounds like one crazy motherfucker. Yeah. Um, yeah, not racist at all, right? It's just, no. you know, I mean, assimilation yeah. or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, I wonder what, what, you know, yeah, it's very curious. I didn't, I literally did not hear about this in the news media. I don't think it was trending on Twitter anytime. Um, what, do you know what, like, Twitter or Facebook or say about it? Um, I, I have not seen it anywhere on social media. I've seen yeah. it on, I've only seen it on ABC seven where the only news they had was Dr. Mamone, uh, the father of, let's see, a married father of two, uh, was riding his bike in orange County on the highway on Pacific coast highway. And by this mixed race, you know, self-appointed he refers to himself as a mixed race accountant holding a BB gun, started screaming racial slurs at him. One of the main ones being white privilege before he decided to stab him. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's really jarring that none of this got the amount of coverage, you know, even close to, you know, it, it's incomparable. Um, uh, totally. Yeah. How is that not racist, though? So, like, why yeah. wouldn't something like this be considered racist? No, I mean, it so is. It's it's clear as day racially motivated. Um, yeah. And, and just as wrong as if it would have been the other way around. And, mm -hmm. and so there there's an, an uneven amount of outrage, right, with these stories. Because it doesn't, it, yeah, it doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah, it doesn't fit the whole idea that, you know, oh, black people can do no wrong. It's the white people. And even in a case like this, I'm sure there will be some deluded, delusional explanation as to acting out of internalized oppression or something yeah. related to a racial thing. Mm -hmm. Even though, I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy was yelling at him with a BB gun, screaming white privilege. Well, it's almost like the, I mean, the people who would say that are... I would say unreachable. I don't. I don't know how to. Oh yeah, they're gone. Bring, bring them back. You know. I, I think, think the only be. hope. 
that we have is the, you know, the silent majority. People who, you know, are seeing this stuff and seeing this narrative shift um, and have questions but are not as bold as, you know, you and I. Um, and just they want to keep doing their day job and keep their heads down. Um, but I hope that this, like, you know, I would like to offer some guidance and some, like, reassurance that, you know, pushback is necessary. Um, it is. I'm seeing more of it. Okay. Do you see more of it? Do either of you guys start, to, are you guys kind of starting to see the tide turn a little bit in some ways? Um, after I found you on Instagram, and, <laughs> and I, no, literally when I, when I found you on Instagram, I don't even know how I, how I found you, but I remember DMing you right away. I was like, nah, there's someone out there in the ABA field that, you know, these things similar to the way I do. And I was really taken aback by that. Um, but since I followed you, I've followed some some other people here and there. And I think they're out there. I just think that they're getting drowned out. You know, just like yeah. I won post in that in that post. I did not see any uh, people who were like, oh, yeah, like, I know, I see what she's saying. There were no mm -hmm. moderns in that post. Oh, um, no. Yeah. So, yeah. A, a thousand percent. Kate, what do you think? Tide's turning? Are we staying the same? Are we getting worse? I don't think that we can say the tides are turning until we start to see the media kind of even out. Yeah. Um, because unfortunately, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people blindly subscribe to whatever the media is putting out. And so the majority of people are not out here thinking critically. And until they are, the the media has no motivation to, to change, right? Um, and so in a yeah. lot of ways, even though we know there's an agenda behind the media, it is still kind of a representation of a large kind of group think. Um, and I don't know if that shift will be believable until we kind of see it happening in the media. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the media, it's, I guess it's really is the more boring headlines that, well, that they won't make the headlines, you know, oh, it's actually 52% white people versus, you know, 48% non-white. I mean, that's not headline worthy. Yeah. So these, these news channels, I mean, I feel like they almost operate on the anger and uh, the headline worthy statistics. And without that, I, I mean, would there even be a news outlet if they're not able to capitalize on the emotions of, of angered people? I mean, the other thing is, is it's very marketable too. Like you saw that after George Floyd, right? Like some mm -hmm. black businesses and DoorDash and Uber Eats. And, you know, like there was this whole, you know, um, movement towards, putting your money towards, you know, black owned, minority owned businesses. Um, and um, I think big companies do that in hopes that they won't be canceled. You know, I think Starbucks, if you look at Starbucks, I love them. Never, never going to hate on Starbucks, but a little, <laughs> a little hate on Starbucks is, <laughs> you know, they, they 
really branded the idea of anti-racism, love is love is love is love, um, LGBTQ, like they've really made that a part of their branding. If you walk into any store, um, you'll, you'll see it, you know, clear as day. Um, so I think also just, you know, markets have found that it's very profitable too. So that's also a problem. Well, guys, as we wrap up here, do you have any final thoughts for the young behavior analyst that is being inundated with DEI initiatives or anything um, that maybe is questionable at best? Stay skeptical and stay skeptical of your own thoughts, too, Um, and constantly read all that you can get your hands on. I don't, or, you know, consume all forms of media. Like I always say this, I, I read the entirety of um, white fragility and like, I follow mother Jones on Instagram and like, you know, the young Turks and, you know, you got to really get as much information as you can. Um, Well-rounded stream of, yeah. Right. And, and just, you know, I think stick stick to rationality and and you'll be good and you know stand up for you know um valuing people for people and mm-hmm. common humanity love it instead of this racial bullshit agreed yeah. kate final thoughts my dear it's gonna be hard to top that one i i couldn't agree more i think it's so <laughs> important to get out of your little echo chamber of you know, people who, who think like you and look like you and talk like you and walk like you and, um, you know, try to consume things that don't fit that, but, you know, with a critical eye and, um, stay strong in your own values and convictions. And at the end of the day, we're all just people, you know, and when it comes to your colleagues and your bosses and your clients, um, you know, everyone deserves to be treated with respect and, uh, the good old golden rule there, treat people how you want to be treated. I mean, that's really all it comes down to, re- regardless of of what you look like. I do want to leave you with a fun little quote here from, um, how do you, from, from uh, Regina and is it Syra? Syra Rao. So this one's yep. from Syra. She was asked, um, what is the barometer of success for the, for the race to dinner program? Oh, here we oh, go. Lord. Quote, People like to talk about having a better society. I think that misses the mark. I don't think we can have a better society until we have a more honest society. And we can't have a more honest society until white people can acknowledge the harm that they've caused and can and continue to cause. And they can't do that until and unless they can acknowledge that they are white people. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> End quote. Well, Syra said it best, guys. So, you know, whatever race you are, uh, give us a subscribe, give us a, a like, give us a review. Um, if you're white, you are obviously maybe not included in this equation because you don't even deserve to leave a review because you are inherently a terrible person. This is Honestly Unorthodox. Thank you guys for joining me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Taylor. This was fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>